Tim. So welcome to a new episode of Catalog and Cocktails, and we're going to do it a little bit differently here. Uh, we're playing around, we're figuring this out as we go, and um, this today we want to be able, well, we want to be able to have more interaction with people and stuff. So this is a general, this is like a regular Zoom meeting, I think. So just FYI, if your camera, we want to record this first 30 minutes, so uh, you can turn off your cameras and, and please just unmute yourself. Uh, we we will unmute everybody and stuff. Then after the after the thirty minutes, uh, we will turn recording off, and then we will just kind of keep whoever wants to hang around and just kind of keep the discussion going. Uh, well, that, that's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be here for. So just as a reminder, if you have your camera on, that's totally fine. But we are recording right now, um, and we just appreciate if you kind uh, just keep yourself unmuted, and then we'll open the floor later on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if uh, you know you're not familiar with cataloging cocktails, uh, this is all about you know talking about talking about data, hanging out live. We do a little networking afterwards, uh, tasty beverage in hand, and good conversations. So um, uh, you know, feel free to chime in on the Slack with any questions you have along the way, and uh, and hang out afterwards to to kind of chat, um, kind of freeform. So uh, today we decided to have a special guest. Our, our 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 great friend and colleague, uh, Mr. Brian Jacob. How are you doing, Brian? Hey, doing Brian. great. Thanks for having me. I've been lurking the last couple times, but I was just off camera watching you guys. I, I had a drink in my hand, but you couldn't see me. So I'm glad <laughs> to actually join you on the camera today. <laughs> so cheers, everybody. Hopefully cheers. you're enjoying their, their mid-Wednesday. So I, I'm doing something really weird. I actually was, I went to, to Twin Liquors and I found this, uh, this syrup, passion fruit syrup, because I like to do my old fashioned. So I'm just playing around with it. Oh, that's I kind cool. of did an old fashioned with this as a syrup and a Colombian rum called Dictador. And that's what I'm playing around with. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'll have to go like <laughs> that. <laughs> You're not sure you love it yet? I'm not sure, but uh, I'm experimenting. That's what we're doing nowadays. That's kind of cool. I, I'm, I'm doing something kind of similar. I, um, uh, my wife got some uh, cocktails through this thing called Sourced. I guess they like do like delivery craft cocktails. Uh, and so I'm drinking, it's called the Evening Standard. And so it's rye whiskey with uh, apricot uh, simple syrup uh, and then some bitters. So it's like two ounces of whiskey to, uh, to like three quarters ounce of, uh, of, uh, of syrup. So it's pretty good. How about you, Brian? All right. Well, I'm I'm doing. Juan makes fun of me because he he knows like for basically for the last couple of months I I I've just been sticking with the exact same cocktail almost every time. If I'm not drinking just straight whiskey, I'm I've been drinking the same thing. I've been drinking a rye mule, so you know a good a good rye or a decent rye. You know, too too good in the mix. Lime juice, and then the key is like having a really good ginger beer. So this is uh, from Cock and Bowl, which is a bar in Hollywood that claims that they invented the Moscow Mule and they brew their own ginger beer to make those with. So I, the, I've i been mixing up rye mules and it's pretty, it's, I, I, I'm jokingly said to Juan, it's, this is my COVID drink. This is basically, <laughs> I just, I had start, I made this cocktail like a few days before we all kind of went into shelter in place and I've just been getting, keep, keep getting the ingredients for this and making this over and over again. So. Cool. Well, for folks who are online, if you want to share in the chat, where, where are you guys from and what are you drinking? That would be cool. Somebody said, has anyone visited the Whiskey Vault at the Wizard Academy? I have not. I don't think so. What's the Wizard Academy? Yeah, I've, I've been to, the, to some, a lot of whiskey places in Scotland, but not that. 
Oh, so it's here in town. Okay, cool. We're going to go check it out. So, uh, yeah, it'd be fun. People in the chat want to share where they're from and what are they drinking. That'd be cool. Uh, but let's start. I mean, so when we, when we had this first idea of catalogs and cocktails and just doing, just talking about data in general, uh, I think one of the cool things was just kind of getting, just sharing stories of things that we've kind of gone through in our lives about working with, working in large scale, uh, data scenarios and stuff. And, uh, when I met Brian a couple, several years ago, it was really, really cool to see Brian's story. And it was kind of like before, so Brian is one of the founders of data.world, uh, but he had, he spent like, I don't know, a decade at HomeAway. Uh, and he was just telling me all the cruel things that he was doing at, at HomeAway and some scary things that would happen, not because of HomeAway, just because of dealing with data. So yeah. I think that was kind of like, it would be just fun to have this chat and kind of just, uh, share stories from the trenches. That was kind of yeah. today. So it seems like you've seen it all, and you've gotten you've gotten some good scar tissue around a lot of different use cases. So would love to well, would love to chat with you about you know some of the best practices and some of the nightmare stories. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, and, and it's so as one said, I was at HomeAway, which if you're not familiar with HomeAway, it's now been rebranded as Verbo. It's a vacation rental website brand it's actually owned by Expedia group I was there for I was there for a, I was there for a decade to the day I actually was literally you know, when I was thinking about leaving and starting data.world I realized that it was awful close to my 10-year anniversary and so I just orchestrated it to uh, make sure that my last day was was 10 years to the day uh, it was kind of poetic it was it was good it was a great it was you know great run uh, really I, I was there from very early I didn't found HomeAway, but I was there from you know very very early on through going public in 2011, and then ultimately selling the company to Expedia uh, right before yeah, right before I left to start Data.World. Um, what was interesting, kind of from like a just data, you know, it, it was it was an interesting decade to spend doing what, what we were doing there. What's interesting about about HomeAway from a technology point of view was it was a roll-up company from the beginning, right? From the very beginning, like the hypothesis of the company was there's this huge fragmented market, lots of little regional players, no one kind of owns this space. Um, VRBO actually was the biggest single player and they were not that big. And so the idea was, let's go in there and build like a real marketplace, a real, a, a real kind of, you know, internet scale portal for vacation rentals and, you know, aggregate a lot of these very small regional players into, into one marketplace. So that was what we did. And so, I mean, it was really, we were, we were a startup acquiring other startups, right? It wasn't like, you know, when we were a 30 person company and we started buying a lot of companies, we had a stable, you know, stable platform and a clean, you know, schema and model for what vacation rentals looked like. We were figuring it out as we went and, you know, and so, and, and so we acquired 34 companies over the time I was there, which that's not a lot of acquisitions if you're IBM or Oracle, but that's a lot, lot, lot of acquisitions if you're a startup company figuring it out. I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of, you know, if you think about that over 10 years, that's almost an acquisition per quarter. And most of those acquisitions were early days. So it was, there was oftentimes, you know, quarters where we would acquire more than, you know, one, two, three companies in, in, in a quarter while, while we were working. And so just the data integration challenges were, were huge, right? Every, every company had their own tech stack. A lot of these were very small companies kind of founded by someone who, you know, bought themselves a teach yourself cold fusion in 21 days book at borders and put up a website and, you know, and, you know, and it's not to disparage it, like these things worked and they were, they were, they were functional businesses that made a lot of money, but very few of them were kind of built with any sort of scale in mind at all. And so, you know, a lot of this was really kind of, you know, integrating these companies, 
you know, learning from these domain experts who kind of understood the business and, and, and you know, try, trying to extract out the best pieces of like, what does this data actually mean? What's the same across all of these, um, what's the same across all these various platforms? Uh, you know, what, what does a proper schema data platform for, for this company really look like? And then build it and then retrofit, you know, 34 companies along the way to use that and leverage it. So, so uh, I could keep talking forever, but yeah, let you guys ask some questions. Cause yeah. Well, yeah. So, so what was like the, an easy, like what was an easy integration? Like you thought, like, oh, this was, yeah, this was swift to do. And like, we were lucky, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of them were easy. I mean, toward the, like after a while, yeah. after a while, like we had the patterns in place. So at some point it started because, you know, it started to be like, well, we actually have a playbook. We know how to do that. I mean, you know, there's a whole thing about just how do you acquire and integrate companies, which I'm super opinionated about, but we're going to talk about the data today because there's all sorts of like, you know, personnel things that you know, we learned over time, how to be good at that. But um, I mean, the later ones, certainly we had a, we, we, we had a stable platform. Like how I think about, we, we approached it kind of very iteratively, which I think is, you know, is always the case as you're trying to like, model model data model information the first thing we did in the early days because we had acquired you know six or seven companies and we're just trying to figure out how to be a company ourselves and so there's just there's all this stuff we thought about it very much as a syndication problem let's let's leave all these systems alone let's let's assume that these systems are going to keep working the way they work because they have existing customers with expectations and let's just figure out a way to normalize all the data in one place pull it together and then drive and then drive the new brand homeaway.com that we built off of off of that kind of syndicated but then over time we realized that you know it's not practical you know you, you can't maintain 30 different ways that people manage their properties you have to really kind of give people you, know, you, you and, and then obviously you know a problem we started having almost as soon as we started bringing these companies together is many of these people were customers of multiple, like we had customers, customer duplication, right? You were right. a customer of this site and this site and this site. We just bought all three of those sites. Those aren't three separate houses that can be independently listed. They're one property. And, you know, and then another, uh, another challenge, you know, this is more of a business challenge, but it relates to the data challenge was most of these companies started off as really kind of a classified ad type site where they're basically listing their properties and then, dealing with the transaction offline. And we're trying to move it to be more of a marketplace where you could actually have the expectation of, I go in, I find the place I want, I book it, I swipe my card, it's booked. Um, the notion of keeping like a, you know, a, 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 an inventory of bookable nights and actually having reservations be transactional where when I've booked it over on this site, it's now not available on this other site was just something that wasn't built into these systems from the beginning. They were kind of built for a very offline type of world. So. I think, you know, if I think about the sequence we are, this is obviously very simplistic because we did this over the course of years and it's, these are all big system migrations, but it was first get all the content into a standard syndicated format, then solve that reservations problem where everything works off one calendar. So if I know it's the same house here and here, I can't double book it, then figure out how we kind of move to a consistent, uh, you know, consistent data model from an edit point of view so that everyone's editing through the same interface and can use the same set of tools. You know, and then, and then really it wasn't until probably the last, you know, it probably, you know, I was there for 10 years. It probably wasn't until the last four years that the norm was everyone kind of editing data in a single unified system and, and us, and, 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 and just having kind of different faces to it, depending on, you know, which, which country you were coming from, which, which, which site of origin you were coming from. 
it, it, it took, I think, that first six years before we really had a, a comprehensive platform that brought it all together. So then, you know, to answer your question about the easiest one, the last four years, it was easier because then we kind of had a playbook. It's like, okay, here's, here's what it's going to look like to take your, to take your integration and move it through the process of, of becoming kind of assimilated to the work. Yeah, at that point, it was less of a sort of whack-a-mole approach or, you know, what, what's on fire approach or something like that and more of a, hey, here's the playbook. Like, you guys are going to follow these rules. Like, here's step one, here's step two, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. What was almost more interesting is like that 10-year period was really when, you know, first big data became a thing and then data science became a thing. And, you know, it was interesting and in that where a lot of the kind of, you know, seeds for what, you know, got, got us thinking about, you know, what a data platform like data.world would, would, would offer is, you know, we, we, you know, Homeboy is not an old company, right? It started in 2005, but that was, but you know, if you think about kind of the timeline of things, it was not a normal thing to, you know, big data was, was not really a thing then. Hadoop did not really exist. You kind of had the initial kind of, you know, white papers put out around this kind of scalable big data technology that, that Google and other folks were pushing out, but it didn't exist as a technology you could just download and, and, and set up. That happened kind of through our evolution. So we went from a company where that didn't exist to one where that was a norm. Same thing when you kind of think about like a data science team to, you know, to, to, you know, that, that was not a thing that you had that, that, that kind of, you know, we, we, we had to kind of retrofit that onto a little bit more of an old school type of company. And, you know, and it was, it, it, and, and something that we realized was like younger companies that came along, right. You know, the cult gig economy, you know, the Uber and, and, and Lyft and, you know, relevant to us, Airbnb that came along, you know, the companies that started 2010, 2011, they just had this in their DNA. Right. They were basically they were born into a world where, you know, processing massive data at scale and having a data science team and, you know, having kind of democratized access to your data was just how you do it. And and we were you know, we struggled to catch up. And I think we did really well. I mean, I, I'm really proud of what we did at Homeboy, but it was it was a challenge to kind of keep up with these companies that were just a couple years younger than us. And part of what, you know, we started thinking and John, you know, John, another one of our co-founders here was also at Homeaway with me. We started thinking, it's like, if this is hard for us, how impossible is this for like the Fortune 500 or the Global 2000, right? These companies that have been around for 20 years, 30 years, their, their infrastructure is way more ancient than us. Like we can actually be somewhat agile and kind of catch up and retrofit. But, you know, a hundred thousand person insurance company that's been around for 150 years cannot possibly think about being competitive in this world. And that's where the idea for something like data.world came around. It was like, what if we could, what if you could kind of have a, you know, SaaS platform that could really kind of help, you know, synthesize a lot of disparate data sources, make sense of it, and, you know, give, give everyone in the company the ability to kind of interact with that data and make sense of it. So how did you guys start with, I mean, you were talking about that first step was called like what you call the syndicated model, right? And you have to get agreements about coming up with that model and how it agrees with other, uh, other sources that you're integrating. What was that process? Because that's something that everybody will complain about, right? Okay, how you can never agree what a customer means or whatever a property means. Like, how did you define what was a property and stuff like that? Like, what was that process to come up with that syndicated model? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the for, the, the fortunate position we were in is we kind of developed that, you know, and and you know, there's always kind of two sides of this. There's there's the fortunate and the unfortunate part of it. The, the fortunate was we were still a startup when we were figuring that out. You know, the whole company was, you know maybe 50 people, you know, including those first couple of acquisitions. So, you know, we had a very aggressive timeline to kind of get the first version of a unified site that kind of brought that all together out. 
and we kind of had carte blanche to decide what what that what we needed to do to do that. So a very small number of people got to kind of really throw their opinions in the ring there and figure out what that initial definition of kind of our unified listing model looked like. Again, for good and bad. For good because we were able to move at kind of very rapid scale. We got that done in you know just you know really a couple months from hey we need to unify all this to launching the site. The bad is you know that group of people of which I was one you know it's too small a group of people and I wasn't a really a deep, deep, deep in, I wasn't a deep, deep industry expert at that point. Right. I had not, you know, I'd been, I'd been thinking about vacation rentals for all of a year at, or less by the time we kind of launched that. So, you know, the, the downside of being able to move quickly and with that much agility was we got some things wrong and had to kind of fix it later on, which, you know, I, I, so I, I know what you're saying, Juan, because this is something we, you know, we, we, we deal with a lot when we're kind of dealing with like larger corporations now is like, sometimes there's that, that you know, analysis paralysis of in order to in order to kind of move forward any sort of like synthesized model like this, you have to bring so many stakeholders to bear. That wasn't our problem then. If anything, we had a little bit of the opposite problem of you know we were we were able and empowered to cowboy it a little bit, and so we did, which was great. It was the right thing because it got us live, and it got what we needed done, and it meant that you know one thing I love to tell people, which is this is a joke, but it's it's a joke, but that's 100% real, is that. You know, as we kind of learned a lot more about about this industry, um, you know, there's certain things you just wouldn't think are complex that are super complex when you think about travel on an international scale. So one of the engineers who worked who worked there, and I won't I won't say his name just in case just in case he's yeah just in case he's he's listening here. Not that he not that he's like, but you know, he he ended up writing. I mean, we we kind of joked about it, but he wrote he wrote the treatise on describing bathrooms internationally. Um, and you know, there's even, there's even kind of like a subtlety embedded in what I said, because like, you know, what you think of as an American, as a bathroom, right? We have all kinds of concepts, like a half bathroom, which you would think of as like a room with a toilet and a sink in it. Well, that's to, you know, to, to, to Europeans, for example, that's not a bathroom at all. There's no, there's no bathtub in that room. How the hell can you call it a bathroom, right? It's a, it's a toilet, it's a water closet. It's a, and so the notion of like this, you know, he, what he really did, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, you and I talk about all the time one is he built kind of an ontology of plumbed rooms in the house where you know we're trying to basically map the way somebody who's listing a house in america describes the rooms that contain sinks toilets bathrooms and showers in some combination to the way somebody in europe would list it the way somebody in asia would list it and you know the reality is you know trying to map these things is is, is darn near impossible because you know we, you know, and, and, and it's funny, you know, all these kind of, you know, not to hang, hang for too much on bathrooms, but like it kind of is illustrative of like the kind of problems that appear in every industry, you know, we kind of came down to, well, the best thing we could do if we can get everyone to do it would be for each room, tell us what features it has, right? Does this room have a sink? Yes or no. Does it have a shower, standalone shower? Yes or no. Does it have a bathtub? Yes or no? Can that bathtub also be used oh, as a shower? That's but a like, trade-off, right? How, right, how but, level do I want to go, or do I go right. become granular? And that right. and that will ease the integration of the data, depending on the level of granularity. Exactly that, right? If we could get everyone to kind of like give an identifier to every room in their house, and then list out with detail what features they have, well, then we could describe it in every language to every to every possible traveler. But the reality is that that's not how people interface with the data. They're going to give you their, their kind of shorthand. And so we had, we had kind of very complicated rules for saying, you know, and, and I felt this firsthand. I, went, I was you know, traveling in, in, in Europe and, you know, the, 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 the apartment we stayed in in Paris, it, you know, it didn't, it absolutely did not have 
the facilities that we thought it had. And it wasn't, nobody was trying to misrepresent it, but it was just, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the way that these rooms are described is, is fundamentally different between cultures. That's, that's fascinating. I, I, you know, it, it makes you realize how much, uh, you know, data integration isn't just a sort of a technology problem, right? It's a, it's no. a, a problem of sort of, of understanding of semantics, the business process of people, you know, uh, and the bigger the problem space, the harder it is. I'm a, so I guess I'm, I'm, this is what I'm currently passionate about is it, it's a people problem too, right? We like, this is a cultural thing. There's, I don't know what sort of automation can ever figure this out by itself, right? You need to be able to have some sort of the human aspect involved in there and you need to figure out how to scale this type of stuff. But, but so what was like the, what was, I don't know, is it a tool or an approach or something that, that you guys did that actually helped you become when you said like the last four years was easy. Like what did you, what was like that deliverable or that you guys built that you said, okay, now life seems to be easier. What are the, and what it, was that? And is it something that, you know, other companies can, can replicate or, or is it super specific to home away? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the specific details of it, I think were, you know, pretty specific to our situation, our evolution. But I mean, the basic principle was pretty, you know, it was pretty much kind of what I've already said. It, it, it's, you know, find an, it, I, I get with everything kind of find an iterative approach that lets you kind of attack one piece of the problem at a time. And, and so for us, how we did that, you know, how we, how we, how we did it was that, that first version of what we did, we get, we defined a unified model for, the, for, for data and syndicated into one kind of one place where we could kind of drive, drive, you know, we had one unified picture of the total inventory we had at any given time. I, I could tell you every listing on every one of our sites. And, you know, a key aspect of that was just also, and this is going to sound weird, but I think this is really important to data integrations. Also, that system had an inherent acknowledgement that it was going to sometimes be wrong. Like sometimes I will have two separate listings that actually represent the same house and I won't know it yet. And so there had to be a way to stay like at some point I thought these were two different houses that could be independently booked. And now I know they're one. And similarly, there had to be a notion that I thought these were the same house, but actually they, they, they turned out to be different. So there's a whole temporal notion to it that I think is critical when you're integrating multiple data sources. If your system is rigid and that like, I have to know the whole truth at all times or the whole system breaks, well then your system's going to break because data, data is messy and it's going to come from a lot of different sources. And, and, and you know, in the real world, that, 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 you know, we felt it acutely because we acquired so many companies, but I think every single company has this whether they admit it or not. But the first step was you know, build that unified model, build a single picture of inventory, build that unified ca calendaring system where, you know, I, I had the, had the rule that, you know, as long as no system could be, you know, no, no night could be double booked for the same house. After that, then, you know, we realized then we were in a situation where we still had, you know, N and it wasn't 34 by then, but it was 20 N different systems that people independently logged into to edit their listings. And so, I had 20 different ways that you could go in and change your listing. And then I could, I could normalize those on the back end to say, well, they all look the same to the travelers, but it was obviously usually inefficient. If we wanted to launch a new feature to say, Hey, people who own properties, here's a new thing that you can do with your property. We would literally have to go implement that 20 times or more realistically, what would happen is we would implement it four times for the four large brands and everyone who was a customer of all the other brands, we would tell them, well, you know, <laughs> sorry, but there's not enough of you to matter you know, come on over to these major, and you know, again, there's lots of different nuances in play, but they, ultimately that it, it worked out kind of like that. But ultimately we realized like, you know, this, this is, this is dumb. Even doing it four times is, is too much. And so 
what we did, and I don't think this is the one size fits all for everybody, but, but, but what we did there, which worked really well, was we basically put a, an API abstraction layer. So we, what we did was we basically said, let's design the API for managing these kind of unified listing models that we would want to go build if we were building this from scratch. And then let's implement it as a proxy to these N underlying systems. So we still had to go implement, you know, adapters that would let you kind of write to one API. But what we did was we basically said, let's carve the problem up into above the line. Anyone implementing new features to roll out to our customers has to use this API. You may no longer write directly to these databases. They're, they're hidden from you. It's as though they don't exist anymore. You have to talk to this API. And then on the back end, it's like everyone who's kind of the manager of these backend systems your job is to, whenever a feature request comes in to implement to this API, or you got to implement it against your backend system. And that let us basically, you know, that, that let us basically make investments above the line of like, you can build new features all day long, but you have to use this interface. Below the line, we could invest as much as we wanted to into platform consolidation because no longer was anyone else, was anyone above the line even aware there were 20 different systems. They're like, there is an API I talked to and I don't care how many systems run. So then we would have whole teams of people whose job was basically, system consolidation back here. Like, let's, just, let's just say we don't want to have 20 databases back here. We want to have, you know, next, next year we want to have 10. Let's get rid of the 10 longest tail ones. Then we want to have five, then we want to have two. Ultimately, the goal is we want to have one, right? Ultimately, it'd be perfect if we just had one clean data model all the way down. And, and you know, we certainly weren't there by the time I left on the way, and I don't know, I don't know that they ever got there. Um, yeah, but at some point you don't have to get 100% of the way there too, right? Like it's, it's, it's fine, you know, there, there's, a, there's a kind of, you know, again, our, our whole lens on it, which was a very kind of, you know, business oriented, like what kind of technology project can I get approved, right? Because if you, if you look at it through the lens of like, what's the most technologically pure thing I can build, that's fine, but that's not necessarily the most practical. We looked at it from, from the lens of like, let's, do, let's make this purely cost benefit trade-off. By drawing this hard, sharp line, the business could invest all day long in as many product features as they wanted, as long as they followed this architectural rule. And then we could funnel all of our kind of R&D investment into making the platform more robust into cleaning up behind that line. And as long as we maintain that abstract. So that, that, was how, that was how we did it. It was kind of the high level strategy. It worked extremely well. Um, I recommend that strategy. You know, the details of it may not work the same for every organization. So then, then another big topic on integration is, I mean, so you have schema matching, making sure these two columns or whatever match. But the other one is, is record linkage, instance matching and, and for your like properties. How would you, what was your, how did you guys manage that? I mean, uh, how much, uh, could you automate everything? How much, or is it, just, you just have to live with the dirty data or, or? We, I mean, like I said, you know, the system, first of all, was architected to be capable of living with dirty data because sometimes you just can't avoid it. Um, but, you know, we had a lot, we had manual, manual processes that people go in and individually fix in certain records, which, you know, sounds like it doesn't scale that well, but honestly, you know, in a whole universe of, you know, a few million properties, um, you know, and the, and the reality is the vast majority of them are like single source. So there actually is no duplication. It's actually, it's actually practical to think that you could actually hand to touch a significant majority of the duped ones and fix them over time. And then we had a lot of automation. I don't think we had any, you know, certainly in my time there, and I haven't been there for five years. So, you know, who knows how much more sophisticated things like, you know, have kind of come on. But in my time, you know, we didn't have anything that I think was like, you know, needle moving in terms of like automated entity matching. We did, we did. We did a, a good job of kind of heuristic rules. I think, you know, this is really relevant to data.world and to, you know, interests that you and I both have one. Like, you know, a lot of the patterns I started seeing, I mean, were, were things that have been kind of well-worn and well-solved in kind of the semantic web world, right? Like this is, this is what 
you know, RDF was kind of built for as like a, as a graph data model for, for integrated, for integrated data with like built-in semantics. And I think what we did there was basically come as close to that as we could with kind of the mainstream technology that was available to us that we could, that we could really reasonably adopt. And, you know, I think that was a lot of, again, a lot of the seed for like why we built data.world and why we built the way we did was, you know, I, I think what I saw was a huge opportunity to kind of take that, this, this technology that is really great for this purpose, but maybe doesn't have a lot of kind of mainstream uh, technology, you know, a, a lot of mainstream adoption, a lot of mainstream kind of support around it and build a platform that, 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 that leveraged, leveraged it to, to solve that problem. So I, I yeah, I, I don't know if that's yeah. full answer to what you're asking, but. So, so we're up to the half an hour and, and, and 40 seconds uh, before we turn off the recording and stuff. What are the, the, the top one, two, three things that you would recommend people when they're integrating data? Like do something or do not something. What are your top and, three? And maybe a bonus question on that is, and where do you see catalog fitting in? <laughs> That's, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be. <laughs> nice. Well, well played, Tim. No, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think, but I, I do think that's it, and it, it's, it's actually very related. The answer is, you know, you, you know, the data, you know, in, integrating multiple data, multiple, multiple data feeds. It really comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, data are, are a collection of facts about 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 the world. They're, they're, it's a collection of data points, and you know, the specific structure of tables and feeds and the physical the physical systems. All of that is you know, to some degree, I mean, it's, it's all noise, right? Like in a perfect world, none of that would actually matter at all. And so, you know, what, 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 what I, how, how I think about it is very much like, you know, get to the, get, get to the bottom of what the data means. What are the actual, what's the cleanest kind of model and, and, and conceptual model you can build of the facts that are being presented? Um, the hard, you know, the hard problems that, you know, there's really no kind of clear automation available for, to, you know, to Juan's point earlier are going to be like, normalizing vocabularies and taxonomies, right? Where, where you're referring, where, where those data sets are referring to, to, you know, structured collections of, of facts, you know, enumerated facts, mapping those to one another, it's always going to be one of the biggest challenges and it's going to be one of the hardest things to automate. So like, those are the things to tackle, tackle, you know, kind of understanding conceptually what the schema is. And then, you know, because, you know, if you're integrating two, three, four systems, assume, you're, you know, if, under most circumstances, you can assume you're going to integrate 10, 15, you're going to, you're going to be integrating a lot of systems. You can't point to point integrate all those systems. So you need to think in a hub and spoke model. And so you have to think about how do I take everything down to some normalized form and then go from that normalized form back to all the ways I need to export data. And, and yeah, you know, ultimately, that's exactly kind of the core of the technical approach we took through all the all the things we did at Homeway, which you know turned out to be very very successful and let us aggregate that business and you know make it huge, and it's exactly core to the the, the approach that we take here for how we kind of think about integrating and you know an entire organization's data into their data catalog. Mm -hmm.